from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program, featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Uh, give us a call if you want to join the conversation. We will take your calls as long as they're uh, relevant to the topic and the guests that we're on uh, all night long, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. And uh, tonight we're going to have some additional discussion on this uh, um, case uh, out of New York where the... Um, Marine veteran uh, put somebody in a choke to subdue him, and uh, the guy ended up dying while he was in the chokehold, and he's been charged now. Uh, we're going to have some analysis on that from somebody who's been labeled a vigilante for a very long time, Curtis Slewa, founder of the Guardian Angels, and uh, we'll, we'll check in with him in a moment. But I want to just go over some headlines real quick because the Federal Reserve is prepared to hike rates again, and uh, I believe, you know... Um, We've had a lot of discussion on this, and most economists agreed that most, not all, some said we'd we'd hiked rates enough, but um, they're thinking something like close to twenty percent uh, might be what takes to uh, what it takes to fix this. I don't know. I don't know uh, if that's going to be the case. I hope it's not, because uh, it's going to be very very difficult to to finance real property if if that is the Outcome, right? If you're looking at a uh, that type of um, APR on, on your mortgage. So um, we'll see how that goes. Elon Musk has hired a CEO for Twitter. And a lot of people are freaking out because she has some connections to the World Economic Forum. And uh, she's um, not as um, a free thinker. At least she does it on paper. She doesn't appear to be as, a, as much of a free thinker as Elon Musk is. And uh, it begs the question, you know, did he make a mistake? Is this on purpose? Is it a uh, complicit? Do we, you know, go uh, off the deep end and, and quit Twitter? Interesting, right? Interesting conversation. So we'll, we'll uh, maybe get into that in the open phones portion in the third hour of the program. Uh, the New York Times is arguing that the Biden family uh, enrichment scheme actually exonerates Biden. And uh, this is this is an interesting take because... <clears throat> It's uh, kind of crazy, right, to think that this is actually what's going on. But uh, townhall.com has a pretty good article here uh, talking about how the House Oversight Committee put out this new evidence earlier this week. It raised a lot of questions uh, with respect to the Biden family's wide-ranging enrichment scheme. Uh, then I saw uh, a clip from, I think her name's Emily Campagno from uh, Fox News Channel. She, she had done a true crime podcast with a former mob boss, and he said, this is exactly what we did in the mob. We had shell companies that we created in order to have people pay off those companies, hire those companies, send money to those companies, and those companies would in turn then you know hire them or they would have an ownership stake in those companies, and that's how they would get their extortion money, their payoff, their kickback, et cetera. And he said this is literally how you operate a criminal enterprise, and that is literally what, uh, in his opinion, having uh, been part of a criminal enterprise – uh, being a capo, I believe, in uh, one of the crime families in New York, 
he said, uh, that's exactly what I see happening here with the Biden family. So uh, there's a lot of speculation about um, using the RICO statute to prosecute the case. And I just wonder, what prosecutor do you find to do that? Right. Which which one? Uh, Because uh, the only one that I could think of that would have the guts to do it is a guy named Rudy Giuliani. And guess what? He's been retired for quite a while. And I don't think he's, you know, the the guy for the job right now, obviously, because he's not in the government. So um, where does that leave us? Right. If you have people that won't prosecute uh, crimes that that are prosecutable. Meanwhile, you have crimes that are prosecutable and they don't get um, any attention either. Like uh, all of these these larceny charges where people are running in when stealing thousands and thousands of dollars worth of things, whether it's in San Francisco or New York City or anywhere in between. And it it begs the question, why are we letting bad guys go and then seemingly incarcerating good guys? Now, look, I I, uh, yesterday and I took some heat for this and I'll continue. I maintain by my uh, comments uh, with respect to the Penny Neely case, the. If I or you. All right, let's put it this way. If either one of us. Put someone in a chokehold. And that person died. Do you think we get to walk away with no questions asked? And that's just the question I'm asking. I'm not trying to impose guilt on anyone. I think uh, Mr. Penny is is an American hero, not because of what he did on the train, but because of his military service. And uh, I'm, I'm not trying to castigate him in any way. Uh, but I'm making the case about fair being fair. Because uh, yesterday somebody said that, you know, they disagreed with me because I used the word, uh, we, you know, people should be held accountable. Um and, and I'm not saying um, I'm saying you need an investigation. You need to review the facts. You need to see what's going on. I don't think anybody is absolved of anything. And I just I keep putting myself in that position. Um, I, it, you know, I've said this time and again, and I, I stand by it. This would be my move of choice. If somebody were to, um, you know, try to attack me, um, that's likely I'm not going to try and outbox somebody. You know, I'm not a really tall guy. I don't have a, a really long reach to get into a boxing match with somebody. So the easiest thing to do would be to close the distance, grab a little bit. Maybe if I'm lucky enough to get a rear naked choke in and shut this thing down quickly. However, if that person doesn't wake up after the fact, does it mean that I w- woke up and intentionally wanted to kill him? No, of course not. <clears throat> However, do I think they're going to ask a ton of questions and try to put me in jail? I do. I think that's what they're going to do. And I think that's the, the risk that one takes when, when you do something like this. Right. That's why these are last resort type of things. So I don't have all the facts. I'm hoping Curtis Lee will bring some more facts to light. Uh, And again, I think uh, my hope is that Mr. Penny will be found not guilty of whatever they're charging him with and that this will, you know, be the end of that. But it's unfortunate that there is a person that's dead now and their family is going to want something. Right. They're going to want their pound of flesh. They're going to be like, hold on a second. You know, we sent the perfectly alive person, I think his name is Neely, onto the onto the subway, and we didn't get that person back, and we want to be made whole. So it's an interesting conversation that we're going to have. Plus, we're going to talk about what is it that moms hate about Mother's Day, and what is it that they really, really want? We'll get to that a little bit later. Plus, there's an interesting legal case about homeless encampments now becoming decriminalized in Oregon, of all places, and... Now they can sue if you try to get rid of them. I'm not making it up, folks. So we're going to get to all of that stuff and more straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. Again, your phone calls are welcome tonight. 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America. 
Night with Rich Valdez. Well, thank you, Rich, and thank you for everything. I know you very well, and I have I listen, but I have a lot of people that listen, and they love your show, and I appreciate it very much. America at Night with Rich Valdez. For everybody saying, I've been on the train and I've been afraid before, and I can't tell you what I would have done in that situation, I'm going to tell you. Ask how you can help. Don't attack. Don't choke. Don't kill. Don't take someone's life. All right. That is the attorney uh, for the Neely family. And uh, it's uh, it's contentious. Uh, Daniel Penny was arrested today. He was arraigned. He's surrendered to police. He's been released on $100,000 bail. And that's the situation. Now, uh, some are saying this is vigilantism. Others are saying it's, uh, you know, uh, Good Samaritan gone wrong. Uh, whatever and what have you. Again, I don't have all the facts, but uh, somebody that I know and that you know, a friend of this program, has been labeled a vigilante for decades on end. I think he's uh, going on his 44th or 45th year of being labeled a vigilante and keeping New York safe. Curtis Lee was founder of the Guardian Angels. You may have heard him on talk radio. He's actually a talk radio mentor of mine. Curtis Lee, welcome to the program. Oh, well, you know it. I got that scarlet letter, Richie Valdez. It's the big V for Vigilante. They even did a documentary that was called Vigilante, <laughs> a.k.a. <That's right>. Curtis Sliwa. <laughs> so, so let me tell you. Let me tell you where I stand on this, and I want you to tell me if I couldn't be more hopelessly wrong uh, and if I am Stugatz or uh, whatever. But listen, I think uh, this, this guy, I, I don't have all the facts. Uh, I think you've rode the subways for, I don't know, 30, 40 years, and uh, – yeah, yeah. Nobody's ever been killed while you were securing the subways. I'm not trying to indict Mr. Penny. I think he's an American hero. And I think this is a very unfortunate situation. But I think that they need to investigate. They need to ask questions. I don't know if the charge is appropriate. I would think that um, manslaughter is probably a little severe. Maybe it should be involuntary manslaughter. But I know it's second degree. Maybe you could shed some light and tell me if you think the charge is appropriate. What say you, Curtis Lewa? Well, Rich, first off, as somebody who has put many people into headlocks, many people into chokeholds in order to restrain them through 44 years of leading the Guardian Angels here in New York City, but also in 13 countries and 130 cities, it is the best way to control a person who is out of control. Now, there are ramifications. If not done properly, the person could pass out. They could then have a seizure, depending on if they're on any medication. They could have a stroke, could have a heart attack, or in the case, as we saw of Neely, die. But in the meantime, nobody seems to want to pay attention to this guy was a menace to himself and everyone else. Just the night before, on that same subway platform, which is called Broadway Lafayette in Lower Manhattan, mm -hmm. he tried to push a guy into an oncoming train. He told his relatives who are now looking to sue for every nickel, dime, and penny they can get from the taxpayers for a wrongful death case. He told his relatives, I'm hearing voices. And they told him, you need to take your medication. He said, I'm not taking my medication. 
they didn't take him into their homes, and I don't blame them. He was schizophrenic. He was a danger to himself and everyone else. None of these people who are now going to end up suing this state, which runs the subway system, in a wrongful death case could have managed this young man who had horrible emotional issues mm -hmm. so bad that he was rated in the top 50 of the most dangerous people who lived in the subway system on a regular basis. So you say to that, now hold on, before we blame the Marine who had done nothing in his past to suggest that he would use excessive force. Remember, four years in the United States Marine Corps, he left as a sergeant in good standing, this is a young man who was like into surfing, uh, reading Don Quixote, going Very backpacking, and right, going backpacking in Central America. Not the uh, typical stereotype of a jarhead that you generally have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's kill, kill, kill. Not at all. Uh, in fact, quite the uh, quite the gentleman throughout his life. There hasn't been any reports of him having treated anybody negatively in, in his entire life. And you know, in the last week. They've done the deep dive the media has to try to determine who is this guy, uh, who is this Marine, you know, does he, does he have people in his background who would speak out against him? And so far, he's turned up clean. So you've got to give the benefit of the doubt of to the United States Marine who went overseas to keep us safe and secure, put his life on the line, and did so in one of the most valuable services that perform the security duties for our country, the Marines, the Navy, the Air Force, the Army, the Coast Guard. If it was any man or woman in any of those services, you've got to give them the benefit of the doubt. But they're not doing that. And, Rich, you've got to understand, this is not about right or wrong. This is about white and black. We have the ingredients here that the activists thrive on. They put their beak in the yeah. trough. A white guy choking out a black man. Oh, man. Now, if it had been white on white, his on Hispanic, Asian on Asian, black on black. Might have gotten attention for a day or two, but because it's white on black, blonde hair, Marine, versus somebody who is emotionally disturbed, African-American, now this will go on for weeks, months. Won't quite reach uh, the extent that the Bernard Getz subway gunman case uh, reached back in uh, the mid-'80s. Right. But it's right there. It's right on the precipice. And the only difference here is is that this United States Marine Corps sergeant appears to be very sane, very sober, and not to be, I'll, I'll give uh, Bernard Getz uh, his due, I'll say uh, he was quite the eccentric individual. Let's leave it that way. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, I, and again, th this is why, why I look at it this way. Uh, Bernie Getz was uh, also skewered. They said he was a vigilante, subway vigilante that, you know, he and again, he was armed on the subway because the crime was so crazy and rampant in New York City. And, and ultimately, things worked out for him, ultimately. Right. But it took a while. And and uh, I, I feel like that's how the system works. Right. I don't think we just get to go and have this happen and, and uh, suspect that uh, everything's going to be okay. I, I would suspect if somebody did that to you or to me, uh, that there would be an investigation and that we would do what we got to do. And if it gets to court, hopefully we it it uh, they adjudicate it the right way. And that that Mr. Penny, uh, Sergeant Penny, is um, you know found not guilty. He didn't go there to kill anybody. I agree with that totally. I just feel like some people have been pushing back on me because I've said 
take it to court. Go ahead, have an investigation. Let's let's let the system do its due. Now I understand the skepticism that we have because the system involves somebody like Alvin Bragg, who's not incredibly reliable. But I, I feel like um, we, that's the system that we have, and we can't just abandon it. No, no, and it shouldn't be abandoned. But it is Alvin Bragg, and you remember in the recent case against former President Donald Trump. When he was elected into office, he looked at this uh, uh, need to indict Donald Trump, and he even said to his predecessor, he said, there's nothing here. I'm not going to move forward to indict. Right. And then all of a sudden he had an epiphany because the political pressure was on him, and he decided to indict former President Donald Trump. Likewise here, when this occurred about a Monday ago at 2.30 in the afternoon, an assistant district attorney was involved in the investigation representing Alvin Bragg. He called Alvin Bragg. He gave him all the details. He said, boss, what do you want to do? They cut him loose. They turned him loose. And then all of a sudden, the phone started a singing ring. First, it was his mentor, Al Slim Shady Sharpton of the National Action uh, Network. And he said to Alvin Bragg, he admitted he talked to Alvin Bragg. Alvin Bragg should not have taken his call, shouldn't have taken anybody's call. But he took his call, and Sharpton said he not only wanted the Marine, United States uh, Marine sergeant, uh, uh, arrested for murder. He wanted the two good Samaritans who assisted him in holding him down. They're all unrelated. One was black, one was white. He wanted them arrested for murder, too. Not just Daniel Penny. Then you had AOC. As you have called her consistently, all out crazy, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Uh, she scored the Trinity, the Troika, the Trifecta. First day, she said, he's a murderer. Second day, she upped the ante by saying, it's a lynching. Then the third day, she went the whole nine yards. She said, oh, this is an execution. Mm -hmm. The pressure was on Alvin Bragg. He could have just put it in front of a grand jury and let the grand jury, these are citizens who ride the subway, let them make the determination. But, oh, no, he had to arrest him first, charge him with second-degree manslaughter. Uh, and this will eventually be put forward before a grand jury. But the problem is, Rich, it's already prejudicial because he's been charged with second-degree murder. All right, folks, Curtis Lee was with us. And... Um this is a, uh, a tightrope walk here. Do we trust the system or do we ignore the system and go with our gut? More to come straight ahead. Plus, what's going on with illegal immigration in New York City? Curtis Lee was going to fill us in. Don't go anywhere. 833-4-VALDEZ is the number. 833-4-VALDEZ. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen.
All right, America, welcome back. Rich Valdez here with uh, Curtis Sliwa. And listen to this. Homeless veterans are being booted from New York hotels to make room for migrants, according to advocates. This is being reported just a little while ago. Nearly two dozen struggling homeless veterans have been booted from upscale uh, upstate, excuse me, upstate ho- hotels to make room for migrants, says a nonprofit group that works with the vets. The uh, ex-military, including a 24-year-old man in desperate need of help after serving in Afghanistan, were told uh, the hotels by the hotels at the beginning of the week that their temporary housing was getting pulled out from under them at those particular establishments because they'd have to move to another spot, all because they were expecting uh, new migrants to be taking their place. Curtis Lee, what is going on in New York with the illegal alien invasion? The problem we have is swagger man, Eric Adams, has no plan. Best known as the mayor of nightlife, a man who loves to wear $5,000 customized suits, uh, just uh, started to invite the illegals in way back in August when Governor Abbott said is enough is enough. I'm sending these illegals to D.C., to Chicago, and New York. Instead of refusing to take care of them and turning them around and maybe sending them to Washington, where it should have been the responsibility of President Joe Biden and his arena in charge of the border issues. You remember Giggles Harris <laughs> at the Naval Observatory. Eric Adams decided, no, he's going to steal the limelight. And he not only welcomed them, he put them up in the best hotels, three squares, Obama flip phones, full health care, whatever they needed, translation services, uh, help, legal help in applying for asylum, everything under the sun. So naturally, the illegal aliens, many of them from Spanish-speaking countries in Central America, South America, and the Dominican Republic, they're watching this on Univision and Telemundo these are international Spanish language stations, mm-hmm. and they're saying, oh, yeah, if we can make it to the border, you know, Texas, New Mexico, Arizona, California, uh, and they ask us where we want to go. We want to pound the hound to Nueva York because you get everything there. So Eric Adams created this atmosphere that there was gold in the streets of New York, and now we are so overwhelmed that we are starting to outsource the illegal aliens who come in to places that don't want them. We're getting tied up in legal disputes because there are temporary restraining orders being applied to New York City, uh, to Eric Adams. And the specific, the specificity of what you're talking about, veterans getting bumped uh, from these no-tell, motel, you know, Holiday Inn Expresses, which are up in the suburbs, is all true. And they're being bumped so that we can house illegal aliens and the overflow from New York City. Now, how unfair is that? Here are many women who have served the country. Some of them have come back from mm-hmm. their duty traumatized, or they have injuries that have caused them no longer to be able to function normally in society. And we're giving them the boot. We're telling them, sorry, the inn is closed. You're going to have to find a new place to stay. We got a whole bunch of illegals, mostly coming in from Venezuela. And Rich, you and your audience should know this has become an asylum racket. Most of these Venezuelans coming across the border have not been in Venezuela for six to seven years. They left long ago uh, when there was an attempt at a revolution internally, when there was the changeover from Hugo Chavez to Maduro, who is now the dictator now. 
These Venezuelans went to Colombia. They went to Chile. They went to Argentina. They established new lives. When they saw the Title 42 was going to be undone, when they saw all the reports about how easy it was to slip through the border and get into the United States, and especially in New York where you get more benefits than you would if you were a citizen, they decided to pack their bags where they had established a new residence, come north. If you notice, the Venezuelans in particular are wearing designer garb. They have jewelry. They have iPhones, cell phones, and they have the tourist bags with the rollers on it. So you know they didn't go through the jungle Panama. They didn't go to Guatemala, Honduras, and Mexico. They basically flew to Mexico City and caught connecting flights to the airports that are on the other side of the border, the Mexican side in Tijuana, Nuevo Laredo, and Juarez, and then made their way over to the United States. This has turned out to be one big asylum scam, and most of them will not have a hearing in federal court in New York City if they stay here for a full 13 years. They scammed the system, and we helped them to do it. Unbelievable. Folks, we're on with Curtis Sliwa, founder of the Guardian Angels. He's a big talker in New York City. And uh, Curtis Sliwa, I can't help but think it's always uh, interesting to me when you've got these these mayors, like you call them, the swagger man, elite Eric Adams uh, or or, um, Lori Lightfoot that say, no, no, no. Our city is a sanctuary city. Our state is a sanctuary state. And when people go there seeking refuge, seeking sanctuary, they start crying, oh, this is wrong. We've got too much, blah, blah, blah. Greg Abbott's bad. Ron DeSantis is bad. And, and it, it just it, it's laughable that they, uh, this is the approach that they take. Um, a, it's hypocritical. But B, I, I think it doesn't serve anybody. It doesn't serve the, the, the constituents that they're trying to help. And it doesn't serve the people that are already in town. Am I right? Oh, no, not, not at all. And in fact, what has happened is all these elected officials, and most of them are up north, most of them are Democrats, they've talked themselves into the abyss. They've acted like, hey, who's your Papa Chulo? Who's your daddy? <laughs> like Joe Biden did on that stage when he was running against President Donald Trump, who was running for reelection. When Joe Biden announced that if he got to be president, He would allow the illegals to come in who were victims of totalitarian regimes, of sexual uh, offenses, of gang attacks. He he gave a whole litany of rationale, but he basically said, if I get in, if I become president, you know, we welcome you into the United States with no checks, no balances, no controls, and no method of bringing out these men and women. And uh, when the children come across with their families, you understand that. Anybody in that situation would want to come to the United States. But when they're single, able-bodied men and they have tattoos on their necks that show that they're affiliated directly with MS-13 or 18th Street, that's double trouble. Yeah. Uh, Curtis Leo, I think think you're right. Uh, We have to watch out for the MS-13. And uh, and Biden's definitely created a debacle here. Uh, we can only be so lucky to, that people would treat them the way they're treating Eric Adams. I'm looking at an article here that says uh, the CUNY law students turned their backs on Eric Adams as he was delivering the commencement address. 
And and he's not the only one I think New Yorkers are upset with. Somebody that I've taken uh, issue with in the past, uh, AOC, all out crazy, my least favorite congresswoman from the Bronx and Queens. Uh, her and her, her cohorts like Tiffany Caban in Queens are, are wreaking havoc on the city and their policies as well across the country. So when we come back, I want you to tell us a little bit about the work that you're doing in uh, in Queens in particular, like in Astoria. I, I know about a month and a half ago, I went to uh, speak at the Ronald Reagan Club um, in Queens. And uh, I think it's great work that you're doing and I want you to fill the audience in. So uh, stick right there with us. We're coming right back. 8334-VALDEZ. If you want to talk with Curtis Sliwa, we're coming right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. I know you said earlier that you will not comment on the platforming of um, such atrocious disinformation, but I would. I think it was a profoundly irresponsible decision. I don't think that it would, I would be doing my job if I did not say that. Um, And what we saw tonight was a series of extremely irresponsible decisions that put a sexual abuse victim at risk, that put that person at risk in front of a national audience. And I could not have disagreed with it more. It was shameful. Now, of course, that's AOC. She's complaining about harming victims of uh, assault. Meanwhile, her policies don't even uh, prosecute any assaults, especially the person that she uh, endorsed for district attorney uh, in uh, in Queens, Tiffany Caban. Our guest is Curtis Sliwa. Now, Curtis Sliwa, AOC is now calling for Biden to issue work visas for the deluge of immigrants that have descended upon the city. What is going on? What is going on is that uh, this uh, invasion, because that's what it is, encouraged by AOC and the squad and other liberal and progressive Democrats, because they know history will reward them, as it did Penny Hall, the old Irish Democratic machine who welcomed so many of the Irish immigrants to America during the potato famine during the 1800s, promised them jobs, gave them envelopes and money, and told them you only expected to do one thing in return, the quid pro quo. You scratch our belly, we scratch your belly, and you vote Democrat. Every election, you vote Democrat. And they did. And they passed it on to their children and children's children. And that's how a lot of new immigrants, legal immigrants to this country, became lifelong Democrats. And they know that's a recipe for success. That's how you beat the Republicans. And they're attempting in some of these states to get voting for illegal aliens. Now, they're not saying national voting is saying in local elections, but that's how it starts, Rich. You let them vote in local elections, and then they'll be voting in statewide elections Mm -hmm. and then in federal elections. One step leads to the uh, other. And AOC is now the titular leader of the Socialists of America. When Bernie the Altacaca Sanders either retires or drops dead and goes straight to hell without an asbestos suit, uh, she will take over. (laughs) And she is the one that has to be stopped. So that's why I've dedicated now my time to organizing Ronald Reagan Republican clubs 
and starting them in socialist area. They're not Democrats. They call themselves Democrat Socialists of America, but they're really they're, they're, they're Democrats in name only. They're really socialists. And by opening up a Ronald Reagan Republican club in those areas, moderate Democrats feel comfortable coming and joining us in solidarity. You see, if you named it a Trump Republican club or a DeSantis Republican club, things are so polarized now the moderate Democrats who you need to beat the socialists would not cross the Maginot line. They have a fond memory of Ronald Reagan. They know he would never have become president without the support of moderate Democrats. And they remember the stories how Tip O'Neill, Speaker of the House, hardcore Democrat from Boston, was able to sit down with Ronald Reagan and iron out their differences and not necessarily take it you know, to the uh, 5 o'clock evening news and argue their differences before a microphone and a camera. They settle their differences behind closed doors, and they compromise. It's exactly what Donald Trump was talking about the other night on that stage in New Hampshire, is you negotiate, you compromise, you come up with what you think is in the best interest of everyone, not just some of the people, but all of the people. Outstanding. Now, if people that are listening want to support the work that you're doing with the Ronald Reagan clubs in Queens and, and throughout the city, how do they find out more? Or they may want to start a Ronald Reagan Republican club themselves and get moderate Democrats involved. Just go to my Twitter account, at Curtis Lewa. Message me. So that's my Twitter account, at Curtis Lewa. Message me, and I'll try to facilitate helping you also. Uh, bridge this gap between moderate Democrats and Republicans. We need each other to fend off the growing wave of socialists that are taking over urban America. You see that with the new mayor in Chicago. He's a socialist, Johnson. There's an election May 16th in Philly. A socialist might win that runoff. And now you'll have socialists as mayors in two of the largest cities in America. We've got to stop that, Rich. We've got to stop it at the ballot box. Folks, you're listening to Curtis Sliwa, founder of the Guardian Angels. GuardianAngels.org is the website. Uh, Curtis, I, I can't thank you enough for everything you're doing out there. I know you and the guys are, are working double time to keep New York safe. And then I know you're working triple time because when you're done with us, when I get off the air at 1 o'clock, you get on the air till what time? Uh, six hours till the break of dawn. Back to back, belly to belly. So Saturday morning, six hours. Uh, and then Sunday morning, six hours. So, so nice. They let me do it twice. <laughs> Outstanding. Well, you keep up the good work. My best to Nancy and the guys. And I hope you'll come back again soon. Absolutely. Be my pleasure to put my hands across America again with the Latino who loves liberty and has become a great broadcaster, Rich Valdez. Oh, thank you, Curtis Lee. But God bless you. The check is in the mail, my brother. All right, folks. More to come straight ahead. Your calls and more. 833-4-VALDEZ. 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right. According to the New York Post, El Paso has been flooded with 1000 illegal aliens in a single day 
after a controversial order. Following an unprecedented order from immigration chiefs on Thursday, the city of El Paso in Texas received uh, 1,122 asylum seekers from Customs and Border Protection, according to data published by the city uh, that's around five times more than they usually release on any given day in the last three months. Now, this followed a memo from the Border Patrol Chief uh, Raul Ortiz, which directed facilities across the southern border, which are over 125% capacity filled, right, uh, to release uh, illegal uh, detain- migrant detainees into uh, into the U.S. without an arranged court date. Now, you know that there was a court case last night where a federal judge said this can't happen, but yet it's happening anyway. Congressman Tony Gonzalez from Texas, he says he understands border facilities are out of space, but Ortiz's order was a risky move. Uh, again, I've been saying this and I've been arguing with everybody that I can find that this is a, a planned opening of the spigot to allow people into the country Um Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm right. But let's hit the phones. 833-4-Valdez. Let's check in with Ozzy. He's in Washington, Pennsylvania, listening on KDKA. Ozzy, go. Hey, I just want to say thank you for taking my call. And it's a disgrace to our country what this Biden administration has done to our country. They took away our fuels. They took they caused uh, headaches with uh, inflation. And now we're going to have another four to five million people come into this country illegal, illegally, plus with all the fentanyl people that are dying. OK, and it's just a, it's just a shame. And what really makes me sick in the stomach is they know he's corrupt and the FBI is covering him up for him. And they just, you know, I don't even know if they're going to be able to impeach this guy, but he's got to go. Now, what does that make the FBI if they're knowingly complicit? They're corrupt, too. And like <laughs> that's right. when and that's the Trump, part that's when scary. Donald Trump, when Donald Trump was president, OK, he might not be the perfect guy, but my life was great. I mean, <laughs> you and a lot of us was deep. And it's just like, you know, I hope he has a different approach if he's going to be the candidate. And let's move on about fixed elections. Let's focus what the American people need him to do again. And I believe that he can do it, but he has to go down a different path because crying over spilt milk is is never going to get you out of anywhere. Well, you know, Ozzy, I think you're you're raising a really good point. And I just want to remind you that in that town hall meeting on CNN the other night, I think it's exactly what he did. He went in there talking about what he's going to do, how he's going to do it. He looked back on his record and it was CNN that was poking the bear saying, well, what about the 2020 election? And are you going to move past the allegations of fraud? And they're the ones that are trying to get him to goad him into talking about that. And I think that he was uh, spot on in his uh his response to that, where he said, uh, I'll stop talking about it if you stop doing it, right, when it came to election fraud, which I thought was uh, was priceless. Um, but I think you raise a good point, uh, and I think uh, it's one that's been received. Even his the launch of his campaign, I think it was very, uh, as the press would say, very presidential. And uh, I think uh, we're, we're seeing a new side of Trump, and uh, he's always been a step ahead of the media. Hopefully he can remain a step of the media. Ozzy? But I do want to say one more thing to you. I would like the American people to ask ask them a question. How can Quickly. you worth $20 million? Give it to your family. Give it to your grandkids. Where did the money come from? 
Yeah, I know. We're talking about the Biden crime family. Yeah. How do they get all this money? Interesting point. All right, folks. Thank you, Ozzy, for the call. We're coming right back. We're going to have some additional discussion on what's going on with these crazy legal cases in Oregon. Plus your calls, 833-4-VALDEZ. Don't move a muscle. We're coming right back. From the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. America's favorite late night talk program. Featuring interesting guests from around the world. And calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media, your liberty-loving Latino amigo, and your phone calls are welcome, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. Now, I want to get into a couple of things. We talked a little bit earlier about uh, how there have been um, subpoenas issued in the corruption probe of Senator Bob Menendez. We're actually going to have a New Jersey uh, state legislator, uh, being Menendez comes from Jersey. He's going to be joining the program next week to talk about that. Uh, we also have, um, <clears throat> the, uh, the continuing onslaught of, uh, immigration, illegal immigration at the Southern border. We also have, uh, an interesting story out on the West coast where, uh, in Oregon, there's a proposal for a bill to legalize homeless camps and allow the homeless to sue uh, if they get kicked out of there. And interestingly enough, it's not only former President Trump that's being investigated uh, incessantly by New York Attorney General Letitia James, uh, but in a tweet that she's put out uh, earlier this month, she says, my office and uh, California uh, Attorney General Rob Bonta are launching an investigation into the NFL over allegations of employment discrimination and a hostile work environment. No matter how powerful or influential, no organization is above the law. I love how they always throw in this above the law thing, uh, you know, as if I think we all knew that. Right. But uh, it, it makes for, for good theater. So those are some of the headlines, and I really want to dig in to this story coming out of Oregon uh, because I think personally this is kind of crazy that we're going to uh, uh, decriminalize or legalize these homeless uh, camps and then give them the right to sue. So I want to get to the bottom of that with our guest, Andrew Reed. Uh, he's an attorney uh, with the law firm. I don't want to mess this up, so let me make sure I get it right. Senior associate with Carstens, Allen, and Gorley at caglaw.com. That's caglaw.com is the website. Andrew Reed, welcome, sir. Glad to be on, Rich. Awesome. So let's dig in to, to this story uh, because this sounds like um, a, a really politicized type of thing to me. I'm thinking some group somewhere said, you know, let's let's um, let's try and get more of a constituency and let's help these people. I can't see the benefit of of allowing people to squat on property that isn't theirs and then uh, have the right to sue. Uh, am I getting this wrong? Help us understand. It's, you had it mostly right. So part of what 
they're trying to say is that if you are on public property or public land and someone tries to get you to move or harasses you and in effect makes you get out of whatever shelter you're taking, then you could potentially sue them for $1,000 if you are one of the people in Oregon. So that's where we're at with that. And it's really going to boil down to how that definition of public land and public property is going to be utilized within this bill. So how do you... How do we make these determinations? Is it just public land? Is it uh, abandoned land? Or, or how does it uh, play out in, with this bill in particular? So I will say I don't know how Oregon's laws are stand in terms of how they traditionally define public land. But typically there's going to be public right-of-ways. So sidewalks are typically considered public. Streets are typically public unless they're marked as private. And then any types of parks or any type of common areas that are normally not considered private. So areas around courthouses, it, some extensive, like there's signs up, that community signs, things of that nature. Those would be considered public areas. Now, what's the driving force behind all of this? Yeah, so from what I've read about this and the reports I've seen on this particular bill that that's come out, they are really trying to affect the ability to provide monetary resources for these cities in Oregon to be able to try to address homelessness. So someone thought it would be a good idea to allow the homeless to sue, and then hopefully that could be used to change some of the aspects of homelessness in that state. And uh, from, from what you can observe, is that happening? <laughs> right now, probably not. Now, I will say what was actually interesting as I was checking this before I came on tonight, it was actually announced today that this bill is actually not even going to get out of their legislature. It's not even going to come up for a vote because it right. failed to miss some of the death. Yeah, it's going to die in their commi- the committee that it's on. But it was interesting for it to be brought up, and it raises a lot of questions for us because it does raise that question of, well, what is considered public land and public property? Um, and then, so does a business have the right to move someone from within from their business if that's a public sidewalk? Things of that nature, and that's where a lot of people start raising comments about this. Um, I know one report I read said it was a effectively, I think around a 40 to one where people were opposing this. So they had about for every one person that was supporting this, they had 40 opposition letters coming in. Unbelievable. Well, uh, we'll, we'll try to keep our, um, our ears to the ground on this because interesting, and I'm glad it's not going to advance this time, but we've seen bills like this before where they, they put them out, they rewrite them, they bring them a little bit softer and then voila, it, it gets signed into law before you know it six months down the road. Now, let's switch gears to this other topic, uh, because this, I think, is interesting. Uh, I, I've never I've never worked for the NFL. I don't know if you have, but I, I, I don't know that or I don't know that I've heard that it's a, a very difficult place to work and that there's a it's a very hostile work environment. Doesn't mean it's not. But I find it interesting that the uh, New York um, attorney general, she seems to really take a lot of joy in going after certain groups and entities uh, in a way with more zeal than any other AG I've ever seen. 
And um, it, it seems like uh, she's got her guns blazing for the NFL. And now she's got a partner in crime, the attorney general in California, Rob Bonta. What's the story on this? Yeah, so they have both issued subpoenas to the, the NFL looking because they believe that there's some sexual, racial, and age bias, as well as sexual harassment. And one of the reports I read said that they said they believe there's a hostile work environment there. Um, and part of what's driving this is, um, in my understanding from these reports, is that in both states there have been several lawsuits filed, several complaints have become public that were raised within NFL to their HR department there. So that's part of what's driving this is they see what arguably some would say is a pattern of behavior. So they're just wanting to, A, they think that there's some smoke there, so there may be a fire, and they're looking into it. Now, it does come into question. There's a lot going on with the NFL right now, too, because you have the Dan Snyder report with the Washington Commanders that there's a lot of pressure for them to make parts of that public right now. And that's another driving factor of what part of what's coming out is because at the same time, that same NFL team is up for sale. So you've got that driving a lot of information right now. So, um, I mean, again, listening to this, to me, it sounds like people might be filing these claims uh, just to attract attention, to bring, uh, to to make the pres- presumption or, or uh, the perception that there is smoke when there may not even be any. And I'm not, I don't want to minimize any claims, but I, I feel like we, we've seen these types of things before, where people, um, you know, even no- notably with the with the Trump case earlier this week, the verdict that came in, where they clearly said uh, they didn't believe that there was any rape. Oh, but by the way, we think that you defamed her by saying there wasn't rape. And it was a really interesting. Uh, a turn of events that came out of that out of that verdict, which to me seemed overtly political. And I'm, I'm thinking th- this seems to be in many ways the same way, like they're trying to draw attention to something in the name of uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, wokeness or what have you. There's some aspects that that may be correct, but at the same time, they a lot of times these attorney generals do have to and make sure they do investigate. And in particular, when you have these some would say it's they believe that there's a lot of times these investigations go a lot deeper in on companies that are very media centric ones that they can get the media attention and some of these attorneys attorney generals want that media attention as part of these investigations but at the same time you also have some of these art organizations such as the NFL that are very large they are go across multiple states with offices in both New York, California, and I believe from one part said at least one other state that they've got offices in. And they have well over a thousand employees. So it makes it one of those where everyone is getting looked at. And so these attorney generals do have to make sure that if they see various reports coming in on any particular organization, that there are some investigations there. Now, that doesn't mean that they may not be singling out the NFL a little bit. I do know one report that I read noted that the NFL had actually been warned before by, I believe it was six attorney generals and from the report I read, that they had gotten numerous reports and were seeing cases being filed raising these biases or also some of these pay disparity issues. 
That was another thing that was raised at one point. So that's where they they had been the NFL had been warned before. And so some some of these attorney generals, i.e. California and New York, said, you know what, we're still seeing this, so let's investigate. Yeah. Well, I guess I guess I my perspective is I, I think of course there's an attorney general and that's their job to do what they have to do. I just feel like when when you see a tweet like this one and, and it's written the way it is, you know, no matter how powerful or influential, no organization is above the law. I think that that added degree of drama um, for me uh, just it, it lacks to be desired and it, it leaves a, a an air of um, of vindictiveness rather than professionalism. Um and, and that's just my two cents on it. Uh, but I, I want to thank you for your analysis. I do appreciate it. Andrew Reed, senior associate with the law firm of Carstens, Allen and Gorley, CAGlaw.com. Thanks again. You're welcome. Glad to be you on. You got it. All right, folks. Now we're going to get to your phone calls straight ahead. 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Last night, our our team in the control room, consisting of Count Delacula and Mr. Hinton, brought to my attention that the heir to the Vanderbilt um, throne, if you will, Anderson Cooper, AC360 himself, that he had made some really choice comments. And, you know, I'm always on top of these guys saying, listen, listen, I need to know what's going on, what's breaking. And they got me this great clip of audio. It's like two or three minutes long. of Anderson Cooper just going on and on and on about how wrong it was to allow Donald Trump on CNN's airwaves and how egregious this was. And it was a travesty. And uh, I had an ADHD moment and just decided to take more calls and and did not play the audio. So I'm still going to get to your calls and more 833-4-VALDEZ is the phone number, 833-4-VALDEZ. But I want to play this clip from Anderson Cooper so that you could hear what he had to say. Before we begin with tonight's broadcast, I want to say something about what we witnessed last night's town hall. Many of you have expressed deep anger and disappointment. Many of you are upset that someone who attempted to destroy our democracy was invited to sit on a stage in front of a crowd of Republican voters to answer questions and predictably continued to spew lie after lie after lie. And I get it. It was disturbing. Hold on a second now. You get to spew lie after lie after lie every single day as you sit in front of all of your CNN viewers, all, I don't know, five of them. But nobody complains. Everybody lets you do it. And and yet when Trump goes up there, everything is lie after lie after lie. Meanwhile, all I heard in the background was, yay, you know, applause, one applause after another applause. Um, it seemed like they enjoyed what they were hearing. I don't hear any applause when Anderson Cooper is giving a report. Go right ahead. It was disturbing to see and hear that person refer to a black law enforcement officer as a thug, an adjective he used many times to describe black men and call Caitlin Collins, the moderator, right, nasty. Stand by. Hold on. Before we get into Caitlin being nasty, uh, listen. 
if you call somebody a thug, this is why I just, I, I, it's so difficult to play in the same sandbox as our friends on the left. Because right away they try to make everything into, if you're a thug, you're a thug. You can be a huge, big, fat white guy. You can be a short white guy, an Asian guy, a black guy, or a Puerto Rican guy with a tattoo on his neck. Right? You can do anything you want to be a thug. It, it, it's a description of, of one's behavior. And I, I hate these, these, this term. It's a dog whistle. It's this. It's veiled. Now, listen, I understand those things do exist. But come on, people. Really, do you think Donald Trump is, is sitting there trying to, uh, it had nothing to do with the guy being black, it had to do with him being a thug. Go right ahead. He calls any woman who stands up to him. It was disturbing to hear him speak so highly of QAnon conspirators and insurrectionists who assaulted police officers in our democracy on January 6th. And it was awful to hear him spread ridiculous lies about the election. And it was certainly disturbing to hear that audience, young and old, our fellow citizens, people who love their kids and go to church, laugh and applaud his lies and his continued defamation of a woman who, according to a jury of his peers, he sexually abused and defamed. Stand as by. good. A Hold on a second. So are they supposed to cry for her? Like, I really don't understand this. It's clear as day that he was found not guilty of rape and she's been saying she was raped forever and a day. So why they should not sit there and cheer for somebody being vindicated of a crime that, that was falsely alleged against them, I think that's appropriate. Now, Anderson Cooper, sir, if you're listening, and I hope you are getting some material for your show tomorrow. If you're listening, I really, really hope, I really do, that you, you take into consideration that there are multiple sides to a story. And it is okay in a news network, on a news channel, even on a talk radio opinion show like mine. I bring on people that don't agree with me. I bring on callers that can't stand me. This is part of it. We have a dialogue. We go back and forth on issues. I play audio clip after audio. I'm playing you right now, Mr. Cooper, because I want people to hear the other side. Then I give my two cents. That's how it works. Go ahead. Job, as Caitlin Collins did, trying to fact check him, it is impossible to fact check fully because he lies so shamelessly. Now, many of you think CNN shouldn't have given him any platform to speak, and I understand the anger about that, giving him the audience, the time. I get that. But this is what I also get. The man you were so disturbed to see and hear from last night, that man is the front runner for the Republican nomination for president. And according to polling, no other Republican is even close. That man you were so upset to hear from last night, he may be president of the United States in less than two years. And that audience that upset you, that's a sampling of about half the country. They are your family members, your neighbors, and they are voting. And many said they're voting for him. Now. Maybe you haven't been paying attention to him since he left office. Maybe you've been enjoying not hearing from him, thinking it can't happen again. Some investigation is going to stop him. Well, it hasn't so far. Well, listen, Anderson, all I can tell you is that I think that you are a wuss. I think you're a wuss and you're spineless, that you're not allowed, that you're not allowing or you're trying to stifle people who think differently than you. And you're ashamed of half of your country because they like El Trumpito, Donaldus Magnus, the 45th president of these United States. Anderson Cooper, I have a few more words for you, sir. I know never in a million years would you come on the show and have a dialogue with me. So I will just have to have a dialogue with the recordings of you. And we're going to do that. Plus, we're going to find out from Teresa Lusk. What is it that mom really wants for Mother's Day? And I want to hear all about your calls uh, for what's going on for Mother's Day as well. Don't go anywhere. We're coming right back.
America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. And Mother's Day is on Sunday, and we're going to jump into a little bit of what uh, some moms can expect. Listen to this. 58% of moms want free time and to be able to just drop everything for Mother's Day. Now, I am, I'm divorced and my mom has passed away, so I won't be doing a whole lot of Mother's Daying, but I hope that a lot of you guys are doing a whole lot of Mother's Daying. And I wanted to bring in a counselor, a speaker, and life coach, Teresa Lusk. She's the host of the Teresa Lusk Show, and uh, she's been on the program before. Teresa, welcome. Hey, Rich. Thank you so much for having me on. You bet. So I wanted to get your opinion on this study, uh, which, again, uh, this new study that says that what moms really want for Mother's Day uh, is uh, a little bit of free time. And and um, I'm wondering how for you and your 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 immediate world, how how realistic is uh, this request? (laughs) Well, I mean, it can be realistic if we I guess if, if you're a mom and you do proper planning, and line things up well, you might be able to get what you're what you're hoping for. You know, if you're married, then you know asking the husband to help you out and and help you line things up and a schedule. And this is how you fill the time. And see, that's the thing. As as moms, we want to kind of help you out so that we can actually rest. So we can we can help you line things up and say, hey, for the next two hours, three hours, just you know, take the kids to the park or you know, don't text me for small things. And so those that's one of the ways that moms just want to uh, be able to un- unload and unwind without having to worry about, will I get a text asking me a question? Or will I get a phone call in the middle of dinner with a girlfriend or what have you? Those are just a few of those tips that would help. Now, this survey it um it really uh, kind of took a lot of things to task, and it's a poll of 2,000 moms. It was commissioned by the Lego Group and Moonpig and conducted by one poll. And again, it found that the the thing that moms want more than anything else in the world is time, just time, time to rest, quality time to spend with their family, and not to juggle 15 different things. So, kind of like you're saying, the you know uh, that that cocktail with their girlfriend where they're uninterrupted. And uh, I'm guilty of that. I mean, when I was married, when my children were smaller, or even my mom, you know, like I, I, my personal story, when I was a young man, I ran a business, but I didn't do all of my books. I had an accountant and I had a mom and my mom did, you know, like my personal finance, like, you know, she'd staple my credit card, you know, my Amex uh, envelope to the statement. And so I would, you know, she would organize all of that for me. And then when I got married, my wife did all of our personal finance. So, you know, when I became divorced, it was like, oh, my gosh, I have all this to do. But in the meantime, that was it. It was like, you know, simple questions like, hey, I can't find my glasses. Check your face. Oh, OK, found them, you know. <clears throat> and and I think this is what moms uh, are dealing with so often because they are the uh, chief executive oftentimes of the administrative wing of their homes. So with that being said, um, do you think that that this goes over most people's heads, most kids, husbands, others, uh, uh, or do you think most people realize what mom really wants is a timeout? I think that they miss it. And I have, you know, kind of two, two sides to this. Number one, the family often does miss it. 
And part of the reason for that is because moms just have this ability to be multitaskers. So we're, you know, making lunches and brushing hair and, uh, you know, making sure that everything's ready to go to school or what have you. And so we often, we do that well, but sometimes it's to a fault because we train the family that it's okay to depend on us fully. And we, we say we want help oftentimes and, and, some, some moms may want to throw some tomatoes at me, but the truth is we kind of take back control. We don't know how to give it up sometimes. So, so it's kind of a two-way street. You know, we want the help, uh, but then also we have trouble surrendering that control and that authority because we feel like our system works best because we've been doing it. It works. Watching sometimes the husband or the family members do things the way you asked them to doesn't always work out in the way that you were hoping it, it would in your head. Mm -hmm. So we continue to take this, this responsibility on, um, and not just allow those that are around us, our family members to take on their own responsibility, pick up some of that load so that we can get that fresh, you know, fresh air and just get away without the call and the text and the pulling on. And how do I do this? And, uh, when the whole desire is, I just want to get away for just a little bit. Hey, folks, we're on with uh, Teresa Lusk. She's host of the Teresa Lusk show. And um, Teresa Lusk, I want you to stick with us. I want to continue this conversation on Mother's Day and moms and uh, get some uh, tidbits of advice from you as well. Folks, if you have any questions for Teresa, uh, you're welcome to call 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. Don't move a muscle. We'll be right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. With Rich Valdez. All right, America, we're on with Teresa Lusk. She's host of the Teresa Lusk Show. She is a uh, um, author and life coach. And I want you to listen to this headline from CNBC. Here's the number one phrase moms are sick of hearing on Mother's Day. Listen to this. And uh, there's a suggestion on what you could say instead. This Mother's Day, many moms are going to hear a familiar phrase. Thank you for doing the most important job in the world. But moms are saying uh, they agree with that, but they're sick of hearing it. They're sick of hearing about all that they do. They also don't want to hear about the joys of parenting or how selfless they are as superheroes. What moms really want is the assurance that they're not alone because caretaking truly takes a village. And they don't just mean an occasional babysitter or somebody dropping off a plate of food. They're saying it requires a society with the infrastructure to help care for children. So this year, they're hoping that more moms, uh, more people will tell moms, we've got your back. How can we help? Teresa Lusk, is that true? It's true. I think that we want a community where we feel like, okay, if I'm not going to be around, you're going to rise up and help protect my child. You're going to you're going to be the second set of eyes for me when I'm not there to guide my child, to get them to uh, be with the right people, to make sure that they're not uh, touching the, the wrong things on social media, making sure that they're not being bullied. Um, you know, there, there's different 
there's a support system that just you, you feel like you can breathe when there are other moms that are aware and not just moms, but people, community, teachers, staff, uh, neighbors, you know, your, your friends, parents that you just know they're, they're going to be there for the best interest of your child. And you can actually take a breath and go, okay, my child's not in my presence. They're going to be okay in the presence of so-and-so because that person also has, um, you know, my child's best interest and they're going to help me look out for them. Yeah. And I agree. And I'm just going to add dads to that list. Cause I know that was always, uh, for me, it was, a, a point of, um, you know, feeling better if there was a mom or a dad that was with a group whenever my kids would go out or do something. Uh, and I totally agree with that. <clears throat> and I think that, um, you know, it, this really kind of reinforces the survey that we we just talked about where I, I think moms are just really looking for that reprieve. They're looking for that break. They're not looking for the pat on the back. I think they wake up in the morning and they go, man, uh, you know, uh, I'm doing an amazing job. Even if they don't feel like they're doing an amazing job, they'd realize it because they did it again. Right. They've kept their kids alive. They've yeah. kept their family going. They've kept the bills paid, food on the table, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I think the job uh, was done. It's just an exhausting job. And one that often goes uh, overlooked, and and that's always been, I guess, the the issue uh, uh, that I take with with many of these days, like you know Father's Day, Mother's Day, where it's it's kind of like you know everybody's busting their hump all year anyway, every day. Um, so it's nice to have one day where it's com commemorated. But I think it's kind of nice to you know like in my house, it was it was Kids Day every day, right? What day didn't we not do for our kids every day? And and I think in the same way, you know, kids, it, it should be a two way street and. Um, you can trust and believe I definitely went out of my way to reiterate that to my kids as often as possible. <laughs> I would tell them, you know, hey, listen, uh, I'm doing this, this and this. So act grateful. And, uh, you know, I think they usually <laughs> laughed half the time, but I made sure I pointed it out. What are some of your um, tips on, you know, for the parents that are listening uh, or, you know, your own personal anecdotes for um, getting through those challenging moments of child rearing where, you know, you feel underappreciated? Yeah, you have to know that the appreciation will come. I have three different children, and they're all different ages. I have a 30-year-old, a 19-year-old, and a 16-year-old. And it's taken me years to see the appreciation of my oldest and then, you know, my middle child. You know, she's, she's coming along. And then my youngest, he's just grateful all the time. And I've just seen that a lot of it has to do with your child's temperament. It has to do with their personality. Um, a lot of times when you have stronger-willed children, it takes a little longer to see them appreciate you because you're usually having to be a little more stern. And so, um, but it does come, but it takes, it does take a while. Sometimes with parenting, you want to see your fruit pretty quickly. And I don't blame anybody, right? We're all, we, I think a lot of people have children. You can say amen to that. But uh, the truth is that that's just not how it goes. Your children will become more grateful as they experience life including a little bit of hardship, that's when they begin to really go, okay, mom and dad um, really did uh, do their part. They really did try to lead me in this direction or when they did that, they meant well. And so just be patient. It is hard. And just look back, count the things you do see them appreciate or that whatever you've trained them to do in the past 10 years, however your child is, however yeah. old they are, you look back and go, okay, I'm going to count these blessings right here. This is what they've done well. And I'm just going to remember that for now. 
Yeah, good point. And and just, you know, to reiterate that for myself, my, my children are, are 17 and 21. And I can tell you that uh, around 19 or 20 for my oldest is when like she would just stop and go on these long soliloquies about thanks. Thanks for doing X, Y and Z because, you know, because you were stern or because you said this or I didn't get it back then, but I totally get it now. And it was so nice to see things come full circle and not feel like the monster they had made me out to be, you know, and uh, <laughs> I was like, yeah, I told you I was right, you know, and it really it makes the job worth it. Um, but you're right. It's all about temperament. You know, I've got one kid that she, she she's super grateful all the time. And another kid that's like, that's it. Come on. You could do better than that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's just how it is. Exactly. And all three of my children, they're all strong willed, but, but, you know, a couple of them are are more of a force than the others. And I can tell you that the ones that are strong willed, but gentle, they're constantly grateful. As you said, the other ones you have to kind of go, did you get that money? I sent you. Oh yes. Thank you, mom. You know, okay. Just checking, like just reminding you of those manners and the, the thankfulness and, you know, a lot of times I think parents will ask themselves, what did I do wrong? I mean, I, I think every parent would get to that point where you just ask, what did I not do right? What did I do wrong? And uh, but honestly, I think that if you just if we just hang in there, we'll, we'll see the appreciation. And, you know, dads are a big deal, too. I know we're celebrating moms, but dads are a big deal when you have a dad that really encourages appreciation for the wife, the mom and vice versa. Uh, but just because we're covering mo- mom's day. Uh, it really helps. Your children really can develop a more grateful heart when they see uh, the father in the home, uh, or even if he's not in the home, but he influences his ch- his child's heart. Um, you can actually see children's attitude towards the mom uh, shift and change. So that's actually very, very helpful. All right, folks, we're on with uh, Teresa Lusk. She's the host of the Teresa Lusk Show. And we are going to come right back to her and talk a little bit about the Teresa Lusk Show and what you could expect when you check it out. Don't go anywhere. Plus, your phone calls and more, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Our guest is Teresa Lusk. And uh, Teresa Lusk, tell everybody what type of um, content you produce on the Teresa Lusk show. Uh, I focus on faith, uh, family, business, and politics, just really educating and empowering people, individuals to make decisions for our country, to be a part of moving our country in the right direction. And so I bring on guests who have some common sense and have a voice. And we just want to educate you and empower you and inspire you to make a change and be a part of the change for America. Now, I'm looking at some of the stuff you cover, and it looks fascinating here. Um, Looking at uh, one episode you did where you're talking about how political anxiety uh, might be at an all-time high because people on opposite sides of of the political spectrum um, debating and whatnot can actually take a toll on your mental health. And 
uh, I, I see a whole lot of that. Uh, it doesn't do anything to my mental health. I laugh at most of this stuff, but I realize there are some people that, you know, they call here to yell at me and, and they're huffing and they're puffing and they start stuttering. I'm like, Hey, take it easy. You're going to blow a gasket. And you know, it's just, it's fascinating to me that some people get so carried away with this stuff. Um, what's been your experience in that area? Yeah, it's real. Uh, and you know, it, it happens to people. Um, I'll be honest, the majority of the people that really kind of lose their cool when it comes to, uh, politics, it usually, they usually are on the left. However, I have seen people on the right kind of lose their mind a little bit, but it's kind of, it's a pretty intense thing. You know, people don't know how to just be comfortable with what they believe in. Um, they, they want somebody else's approval and, and agreeing to disagree is, is an, a personal attack to them. So it causes this anxiety and, and anger, as you have said, people start stuttering and they can't even keep themselves together. That's real. And I think when you become just very comfortable with what you believe and your convictions and you, you stick by them, you can just say, okay, well, you're going to do what you're going to do and I'm going to do what I'm going to do. And, and that's it. So it's, it's even affecting dating life. I mean, people, you've, I'm sure you've seen people will say, no, thank you. If you're a Trumper, if you're this, you're that, no, thank oh, you. Sure. I mean, that's what it's boiled down to. So, yeah. I remember, you know, I had a buddy that I used to hang out with and he loved to bust my chops. And I remember being at a, at a bar with him. It was like Monday night football and really, really, uh, really, uh, attractive girl. And I was making conversation with her and he just, he was next to me and he just slid over like, so that he was in view and he looks at her and he goes, you know, he's a Republican, right? And she was like, get out. Really? Oh my God. I gotta go. <laughs> Oh and I, I did laugh, but I was like, man, you're, you're terrible. And, and I, and this was several years ago, like pre-Trump. Um, but that's how it was then. She came back to tell me how she didn't get along with her dad and her dad was a big Republican. And I was like, okay, whatever. He hit a nerve. I understand. But it was just so funny to me. Um, again, I have the ability to laugh at that. I, I do find it funny, but for a lot of people, this is just like the end of the world for them. Uh, how do you advise somebody, you know, if you're life, if you're being a life coach for someone, um, that says, you know, oh my gosh, I don't know what to do. I, you know, I can't go on a date because everybody hates my politics. I mean, if they hate your politics, then move on. You know, I mean, life mm -hmm. is, is just too precious and to, to be worried about, you know, if somebody, it, it, honestly, if, if somebody is just at this point can't handle your beliefs, your convictions, which you obviously, you know, vote through your, through your politics, well, it's best to find somebody who does line up because at, at the end of it all, it's just going to cause chaos. Now, I'm not, I, I think you can have some conversations with people, but not everybody can handle that. So it's best to just choose wisely and say, okay, well, you can't handle that. I'm going to move on and look for people that um, I can have good grown-up conversations with and somebody who can healthily uh, debate with me and healthily disagree and healthily agree. And that's part of being a grown-up. And I think that uh, so many people here in America, we have lost our, our ability to have some common sense and some respect for each other and, you know, and even to be able to have some humor. I mean, mm -hmm. even within our own, you know, Republican to Republican, conservative to conservative, even we can joke and, and make jokes with each other. And it's important to do that. We need the laughter back. We need the joy back. And uh, if we just if we just give up mm -hmm. um, this belief that every, you know, this political thing is part of my identity, I can't separate myself from it, then we're not going to do well. Yeah. 
We're not going to go too far. Teresa Lusk, host of the Teresa Lusk Show. Check her out at TeresaLuskShow.com. That's Teresa without the H. And I want to thank you for being with us tonight, Teresa. Thank you so much. Happy Mother's Day. All right, folks, Open Phone America is coming up. Get that rotary phone. Blow off the dust. 833-4-VALDEZ. From the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. America's favorite late night talk program. Featuring interesting guests from around the world. And calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S. It's Friday, and uh, our phone number is 833-482-5337, or 833-4-VALDEZ. Now, I want to um, welcome you, of course, and welcome your phone calls. Uh, this is uh, the portion of the show where it's open phones. We'll talk about anything you like. Of course, it's Mother's Day this weekend. And, of course, I say Friday because this show goes across the country. So while here in New York, it's 12.07 right now, right, which makes it technically Saturday morning. However, if you're listening in Oregon, uh, guess what? It's not tomorrow yet. So that's why it's still the Friday edition. And uh, I'm happy to speak with everybody. Again, happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there. Uh, If you're a a dad and identify as a mom, that's on you. Happy Mother's Day anyway. Uh, But we're going to talk about a few things tonight. We've got a lot that we've talked about already. Uh, We talked with Curtis Sliwa about the uh, Marine veteran, Daniel Penny, who who, uh, put somebody in a chokehold to subdue them and control them, and they died. And uh, now he's been charged. Um, Is this the right thing to do? Is it the wrong thing to do? My thinking is we just have to look at it very carefully. Uh, I think that um, he's innocent. I don't think he went there to kill anybody. And uh, we're going to see how that plays out. We also have um, Karine Jean-Pierre saying that a federal judge stepping in and saying that what the Biden administration is doing at the border by allowing people to cross the border and not even be issued a court date for immigration court uh, is is not legal and has put a stop to it, even though it's continuing to happen. Karine Jean-Pierre says this is sabotage. And uh, in, in I guess uh, she could have also said this is rigged. The system is rigged. But I think somebody else has uh, has the market uh, coined there. Um, let's see what else we got here. Uh, we've got Anderson Cooper. I want to get back to him because uh, what he said was just so dumb. And Joy Reid has some interesting words on that as well. But there's also some audio I want to play for you about um, transphobia and a couple of stories on that. So that's what we're talking about tonight. Again, the number 833-4-VALDEZ. I want to, um, let's see, I want to go to John Reno, Nevada, listening online. John, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead. Thank you, Rich. Um, you know, Daniel Penny, he had no ill intent. He was screaming, call 911 as soon as he went into action. Uh, he was trying to protect the people on the train. Uh, they're all going to testify for him. None of them yelled for him to stop. None of them uh, were concerned 
uh, you know, about the guy dying. Um, you know, it's going to be hard to find a jury where at least one person will not vote to uh, will not vote to let him go. It's a horribly it. unfortunate thing that happened, but with the things that are going on in the subway uh, these days, uh, I don't think they'll have any trouble having at least one juror vote no. It's too bad they cannot bring his whole violent history into the trial or the why? Why do you think they need it? Days prior to it, because you know the people on that train, they didn't know anything about um, Neely's violent past. They just knew about his violent present, and I think that's enough. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, this is just an issue that I have because I believe in redemption and I believe and again, not I don't believe he was a redeemed person, but I believe in redemption and I believe people have to be judged by what we know. Like, you know, so for when when the whole George Floyd thing happened, a lot of people are like, oh, but this guy held a, a pregnant woman at gunpoint and, and this guy nearly was charged with kidnapping a child and then beating up an elderly person. The guy was a savage, uh, just scum of the earth. But the people on that train didn't know that. Right. So I think it, it works in Daniel Penny's b- benefit that he didn't know those things, because imagine if you're on the train, you're like, oh, man, here comes this guy. Uh, you're more on guard. You're more whatever. The fact that he could say, look, I didn't know this guy from from a hole in the wall. I just knew he got on. He was menacing these people. Uh, it looked like he was about to hurt somebody. I tried to get him away as best I could based on my training. I tried to subdue him. Next thing you know, the guy was dead. I'm super sorry. Didn't mean to kill anybody and, and let the process go through. I, I believe you're right. I, I, and I I truly do in my heart of hearts believe that there, you know, there might be a few crazy activists lefties on that jury, but even the people of New York are going to say, you know what, this is, this, this this white man didn't come here to kill this black man. No matter how you try to spin it through the lawyers and through the media and through whatever, that just isn't the case. And I think you're right. Uh, they're going to have a hung jury or they're going to get the acquittal. Uh, I hope that we're both right. If we're wrong, damn it, that sucks. Um, it just sucks for America. It sucks for Daniel Penny. It sucks for New York City. But, John, thank you for your call, my brother. I appreciate it. Big shout out to everybody in Reno, Nevada. Uh, let us continue with our calls across the nation. Uh, let's go to Wichita, Kansas, KQAM. Matthew, go right ahead. You're on with Rich Valdez. Well, how you doing there, sir? Wonderful. Thank you. Well, I thought about what's going on, and I'm supporting Trump just like I've always been doing. There yep. are reasons why. Okay, now Great. Just, well, before the show ends, let us know. He has experience doing the job. Now, I like the governor of Florida. I think he's a good man. Yeah, well, he's not even running for president. His, well, he may get in. He may not. But it ain't his time. He, Florida needs him to stay where he's at. Trump has experience, and he can survive all the attacks that the political left has put against him. Now, if you think about it, his last year in office was his best year because he learned and he learned and he learned. And if we let him get back in there, he can do better than he did before because he learned how the game was played. You see what I All mean? All right. Well, thank you, Matthew. I appreciate it. I think there's a lot of people that share your thought on that, uh, that Trump uh, has the experience and he can point to things he's done. You know, it's, I always find it funny when people say, well, what's Trump going to do? Well, I think we, we saw what Trump was going to do. Just look at the border under Trump and the border under 
everybody else. You know, I'm, I'm voting for Trump, right? <laughs> Clearly, you're going to go with Trump. If, if you want the border secure, he did it better than anybody else, right? He, you may not have liked the rhetoric. You may not have liked this. There might have been a lot of things you didn't like. But if you liked the safety and security, then go right ahead. You know, an interesting thing also that uh, came up in a conversation I was having today was, um, you know, somebody telling me, you know, you just see alternative news. And they were, they were telling me, you know, like, the, I don't know where you get your news because, you know, Trump is the one that put kids in cages. And, you know, and this is, again, another one of the, the largest um, uh, scams that, and this was in particular the New York Times, right? They ran this piece that had a picture of, a, I believe it was a little girl wrapped in an aluminum foil blanket on the floor of a, a concrete floor in like a warehouse with a chain link fence around her saying that, you know, Trump, kids in cages. And the photo was from 2013 or 2014 in a facility that was built by the Obama-Biden administration. And they were trying to say that this was the result of Trump's policies. And when they actually, you know, uh, some other network went in and looked at how the, the detention centers look uh, that Trump had created, and they were more like dormitory-like, and they looked like private homes. They had beds, little animals, stuffed animals like teddy bears on tops of the beds. So I just thought it was fascinating how, you know, the media can can sell you a story just like there's good people on both sides or, you know, they're rapists, they're murderers. The, the way they can pick that one soundbite and just really go to town with everything. Uh, and I think th- this is uh, what we're, we're seeing now. Um, but I'm glad that CNN had Trump on so that people could hear a little bit more and have a little more context uh, because even when we had Trump on the program here a couple of months ago, uh, some people that were not fans of his, but fans of mine, uh, it pulled me aside and said, look, you know what? I thought he was very gracious. I thought he was really a really nice, affable person. And he seemed totally different than the Trump that I saw on the news. And I said, well, that's because they're picking the worst footage they can. They antagonize him. He fights back. They cut that clip and they play it incessantly on whatever network you're watching. And uh, unfortunately, that's not an accurate depiction. So you're right. It's all about the record. And thank you, Matthew. Big shout out to everybody in Wichita, Kansas, KQAM. All right, folks, we're going to continue with your calls straight across America. We've got calls from Galloway, New Jersey, Wilmington, Delaware, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and more coming in. So give us a call. There's a few lines open, by the way, if you want to join us. 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. After 8 a.m. this morning, Daniel Penny surrendered uh, at the 5th Precinct at the request of the New York County District Attorney's Office. Dealing with the situation, like I said, with the sort of integrity and honor uh, that is characteristic of who he is, characteristic of his honorable service in the United States Marine Corps. Well, there you go. Uh, Again, Daniel Penny is a... uh honorably discharged sergeant in the uh, Marine Corps, a veteran of uh, the United States military. 
uh, a guy that I feel uh, tried to do the right thing and is now getting maligned. Uh, but I'm not going to say that he shouldn't go through this process because it's the process that we have. And I have faith in our system somewhat, you know, not totally. I've seen a lot of uh, miscarriages of justice and uh, I don't keep my head in the sand. But I, I don't think we're at a point where we can abandon ship and say, no, we're not going to go through the system. We're just going to say, we think he was right, and that's it. That's fine, right? It doesn't work that way. I don't think it works that way. And I also realize that he may have been cleared in the investigation, and now they're coming after him for political purposes, the way they go after Trump and so many others. So, you know, there's a lot of nuance here, and it's, a, it's an interesting thing. But I do believe he's going to be vindicated by a jury of his peers. Uh, I hope that I'm right Let's see what you have to say about this. Let's go to Anthony, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, KDKA. Go right ahead. Hey, buenas noches. Buenas noches. How are you, sir? Doing well, thank you. The um, been following the New York subway incident, reading a lot of number of articles, and in one of them uh, from the New York Post, it said that in the last three years there have been as many murders in the subway system as there had been in the previous 15 years. I believe it. And, uh, yeah, and uh, there's been a number of people critical, Mayor Adams, and, you know, he's, I guess he was down there a couple times last year, at the end of last year, trying to have more officers on duty. But there seems, there's got to be some serious problem going on down there, and I don't know if they're short officers or what can be done um, clearly, in this instance, that um, the the the, uh, the, the uh, Neely guy had all those prior arrests, but was not in jail. So yeah, that, well, I'll tell you the problem. If you don't mind me jumping in, because I, I just want to tell you, I, you know, so I live. I, I was born in Brooklyn, and I moved to New Jersey as a teenager, and I worked in Manhattan. I used to do a two-hour radio show, 10 a.m. to 12 noon, on on one of the big talk stations in New York City. And I can tell you, I rode the subway every single day to the studio. I would take the bus from New Jersey into Manhattan. And then once I was in Manhattan, I'd jump on the E train and get off at uh, 49th and Lex and walk over to my studio on 53rd. And I have to tell you what's happened in New York. It started in, I believe it was 2021, right? January of 2021. They passed the no, uh, no cash bail law. It was called bail reform. Nobody was now held on bail anymore. You can't hold anybody on bail. And this was anything below murder. So attempted murder walked. You got a ticket, you got fingerprinted, and you were out. Uh, It became known on the street. They would call it a desk appearance ticket. And it was colloquially known as a disappearance ticket. The desk appearance ticket became a disappearance ticket. It's exactly what we're seeing at the southern border. People who want to deconstruct and dismantle uh, effective um, law enforcement, they know exactly how to do it to neuter people. They've neutered the NYPD that way. Then they moved forward with not only by changing that law that was signed into law by uh, then-Governor Mario Cuomo, I mean his son, uh, what's his name, Andrew Cuomo, uh, essential Andy, as I like to call him. Uh, but then they moved on and they also neutered the police by eliminating the uh, anti-crime task force, which were plain closed officers that worked very proactively, meaning they looked for bad guys and they were dressed like you and me. And they were amongst us and they went after bad guys. They weren't reacting. They were looking for them. 
And that was very effective because they typically kept guns off the street and crazy people off of the trains. And they eliminated that. Then they said, all right, well, we'll have a modified version of that. So meaning they were no longer plain clothes so that you were able to identify them as police. So the bad guys could see them coming a mile away. And they said, oh, and by the way, we have outlawed the chokehold. You can't use a headlock. You can't put a knee on a shoulder. You can't do anything. So this is why now there's videos all over Instagram or any of the social media where it looks like Keystone Cops or NYPD are running after the bad guys and the bad guys are dipping left and going to the right. And it's easy for them to get away because once they grab them, they can only grab them. They can't use leverage in many ways, especially if they pull them to the ground. They can't put their knee in their back and put the handcuffs on them like they used to. So you combine all of that with this this type of policing that's being pushed on the officers in New York where it's, uh, you know, they've decided to use less police and more what they call violence interrupters. Yeah, go figure what that means, a violence interrupter. And you you couple all those three things with um, what we have and you have a, a rise in crime where you're almost inviting the crime, where you you have a prosecutor that will not, prosecute people walking in with two big, large trash bags and going into the local chain drugstore and filling them with items off the shelf. So these stores are forced to hire police, hire private security. Uh, you've, I've seen store managers, you know, look like they're playing football with some of these thieves, you know, trying to grab and, and hold on to some of their inventory. I've seen this with my own eyes. I once got in the way of a guy who was trying to steal something. And you know what he did? He put everything down his pants and the manager said, forget it. I'm not going in his pants to get it. And he told the guy, just get out of here. And the cop was there. The cop was like, uh, looking at him like, what do you want me to do? And he was like, threw his hands up, the manager of the store. He was like, you know what? This is incredible. And while they're fighting with this one guy, there's three other people robbing on the other side of the store. Absolute insanity because of the laws. And I have to say, this is, and this is no kudos to anybody, but there is not a single Republican that was involved in the passage of these laws. This was all the Democrats. They came up with this plan to just create bedlam, and guess what? We have it. Now, I know most normal people say, why on earth would you do such a thing? Why would they go and ruin one of the best cities on the planet? I don't think their plan was to ruin anything. I think their plan was, this is kind of the price you pay so that we're no longer incarcerating black men, because that was the reason they decided to not prosecute these crimes. They said, we prosecute way too many black men, and there's too many black men in prison. So now as they find more and more people committing crimes, uh, if they happen to be black men, they're not being prosecuted. So this is their way to address what they felt was systemic racism in the jails. And it's now creating a problem of crime on the streets. And some of it was actually codified with the no cash bail and the regulations that they put on the anti-crime unit and not being able to leverage your weight when you're on top of somebody trying to handcuff them. Fascinating. Fascinatingly stupid, Anthony, is what they've done in New York. And that's why we have the problem. And that's why we have more murders now than we've had in the last 15 years. Makes all the sense in the world. It's a recipe for disaster. Anyway, your calls and more coming up. 833-4-VALDEZ. Let's hear from KJP about the sabotage of the southern border. They're blaming the judge instead of blaming themselves. Don't go anywhere. I want to listen to 
you, Rich, all the time. America at Night with Rich Valdez. On the ruling in Florida last night um, against these releases and the um, Biden administration's statement in that legal filing that 45,000 individuals are going to be in custody by the end of this month and not able to go forward with this process of releases, what's the backup plan now? So let me just say on the ruling uh, that you just uh, you just laid out to me. Um, so look, the way we see that, it's sabotage. It's pure and and simple. That's how that uh, reads to us. The claims that CB CBP is allowing or encouraging mass uh, release of migrants uh, and is just categorically false. That is not what's occurring. That is not what's happening. Uh, and it is a it is a harmful ruling. And the Department of Justice is going to fight it. That's what we're going to see. And we're going to continue to use every tool that we have uh, to make sure that we are dealing with this issue in a humane and orderly way. All right. So that is uh, White House Press Secretary uh, what's her name? Karine Jumpia. And Karine Jean-Pierre says it's sabotage. They're accusing uh, federal judge Kent Weatherall of sabotage after blocking the potential mass release of migrants without a court date. And again, it's happening. It's happening uh, because we just saw that it was happening with the CBP chief saying that they had no choice. They had to do this because they're overwhelmed. And that's the whole plan, this whole Cloward Piven uh, strategy. But um, that's what they're saying here, that the... This is sabotage. She um, made the usual attack. That's that's how they do it um, on U.S. District Judge Kent Weatherall hours after he uh, forbade the release of migrants on what they call parole without a court date if the detention capacity is exceeded, issuing the order hours before the end of Title 42. And we talked about this last night. We brought you the breaking news on the judge issuing that. But what we uh, hadn't heard was today's response from KJP. So uh, this is reporting from the New York Post, by the way. In fact, the Post and other outlets have reported on hundreds of migrants being sent onto the American interior from the border uh, in El Paso, Texas alone. More than 1,000, 1,100 Illegal border crossers were released from U.S. Customs and Border Protection uh, custody um, just yesterday. So Jean-Pierre has uh, confirmed that her choice of uh, words moments later, again, saying that it's a harmful ruling and, you know, that they need Congress beyond the ruling, blah, 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 blah. It's sabotage, pure and simple, uh, that this is the the route that they're going to take. Right. They're not going to accept accountability, say, look, it's the system. We are not above the law. Right. Where are they when you need that famous line? You know, no administration's above the law. Biden's not above the law. KJP's not above the law. You know, anyway, we'll get to your calls on who's above the law and who isn't right now. 833-4-VALDES, 833-482-5337. It's amazing how I still don't know that number. Um, Let's go to Linda. She's in Albany, New York. WGDJ. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Rich, for taking my call. My pleasure. Um, the Marine, I suddenly was thinking about that his situation, and uh, I remembered when I took some first aid courses at a certain point, they emphasized, be sure that it's understood that you are doing this under the Good Samaritan Act. And so I'm hoping that that will help him ultimately in this situation. 
Yeah, well, I think we're beyond that because it had that been the interpretation of the prosecutor, they would have said this falls under the Good Samaritan Act and uh, we're not going to be prosecuting. We're going to decline prosecution here. Um, and they probably did. Again, from according to Curtis Lewa, uh, it was my understanding they were doing this investigation and that, that that's where they ended up with a charging decision. Uh, but Curtis Lewa says that they had initially passed on it and then they went back and decided to do it. If that's the case, then I would say it's uh, probably uh, motivated by politics or pressure from political entities outside. Uh, either way, it's the wrong thing to do if that is in fact the case. Uh, but I do believe that uh, justice will prevail here that this guy will be all right because it's going to be difficult to make the case that he intended to hurt this guy. <clears throat> now, again, I don't know a lot about second degree manslaughter in New York. Maybe our producers could take a quick look at that and let me know what the extent of that is. But um, if, if there's any premeditation involved there, I think this guy's golden. He's not going to pay the price. If it's, um, you know, something where it's like, you know, the accidental blah, 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 then they may try to make an example of him, which is even worse. But it seems like he's got good attorneys and there's a GoFundMe set up for him. I'll try to find that and send it out for anybody who wants to donate uh, for the, the uh, Marine Sergeant uh, Daniel Penny. Um, I think that would be helpful for him. But thank you, Linda. I appreciate it. Thank you for the call and happy Mother's Day to you and all of your family in Albany, New York on WGDJ. Great station. Um, let us continue to Gary. Gary's in Galloway, New Jersey, W-O-N-D. Gary, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. Yes. Hi, Rich. Uh, you mentioned before that you have some faith in the justice system. I have absolutely no faith in the New York justice system, and I am so outraged over the all the people that are protesting for uh, Daniel Penny's arrest. I think they rushed to judgment before they got the details. They obviously don't know the history of of this guy Neely that he that he got in a headlock that he was preventing from possibly yeah. injuring and murdering people on the subway. He right. But hero. and again, I'll, I'll make the case. I'm with you. I think that Mr. Penny, Sergeant Penny, uh, should be absolved of anything here. I, I'm with you on that. But uh, with respect to knowing the, the severity of this person uh, in, in a split moment, right, whether you're a cop that's about to pull out your gun and shoot somebody or you're the guy that's about to take this guy down. The only thing you know is the hand you're dealt. You're on a closed subway car that's moving. There's innocent people there. And if you're choosing to take action, you're taking action based on that scenario. And in my opinion, that should be the only thing you should be judged on. And that's the only thing you should be judging on. Because if we take into account that this guy had a very big, extensive criminal record, now it it, uh, it leaves open for judgment that, well, you knew this guy was a very bad guy, so maybe you used a little bit more force because you were afraid of him because you thought maybe this guy's coming to kill me, right? And all sorts of assertions can be made. And I think that's why nobody knew who this guy was. They just knew in the moment he was bad news. Now, again, if you were a betting man, if I were a betting man, I would say, yeah, nine times out of 10, when you get somebody acting crazy like that in New York City on a subway or on the street, these guys probably have a rap sheet longer than anything. And yeah, they've done this before. That's just how New York City is. But I, I, I'm a firm believer in, I don't want to talk about this guy's previous uh, uh, crimes because they don't impact this situation. Yes, he's the scum of the earth, and, and I get that. I really do. Uh, but 
the, the issue here is New York Penal Code says an individual is guilty of manslaughter in the second degree if he recklessly causes the death of another person. Recklessly, right? Now, this differs from manslaughter in the first degree where the penal code requires that the defendant have the intent to cause serious harm. Um, so <clears throat> I believe Mr. Mr. Penny um, wasn't reckless at all. Right. Uh, one of the callers just pointed out that there was a whatever number of people were on that subway car. And I saw at least four or five in the video I saw. Um, nobody was like, hey, stop what you're doing. Right. And there was one guy that seemed concerned, but he was holding the guy's arms down while Penny had him in the headlock. So um, I think, in my opinion, everybody was on board with this man being subdued so that they could potentially maybe get him out of the train at the next stop, call a cop, say, Hey, look, this guy's causing a disturbance. He's going to hurt somebody or himself. And, and they were trying to help the situation. And in doing so, in being a good Samaritan, they ended up, you know, um, in this situation. And I don't know if they caused his death. If his death came uh, subsequently. I, I know if, if Mr. Neely were a family member of mine, somebody said, Hey, your kid went to a party and she was drunk out of her mind and started picking a fight with another girl on the subway. And she started whatever. So we put her in a headlock and oh, by the way, now she's gone. God forbid, right? Imagine somebody told you that about your kid. I would want answers. I would want answers and I'd be leaning on the system before I become a psycho person myself. So that's the reason reason why I'm trying to be as fair as I can be, but I definitely appreciate your thoughts on this, Gary. Uh, big shout out to you in, in Galloway, New Jersey, and everybody listening on WOND. We're going to get to the rest of your calls straight ahead. 833-4-VALDEZ. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. In live late night radio, six years in a row, it's Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. We're continuing our conversation on on everything we've discussed this evening. Everything is on the table. Uh, we have some, a number of people on hold, and we're going to get to you momentarily to get your opinion so you can weigh in. Uh, the number is 833-482-5337, valdez But I wanted to uh, play a quick clip of audio for you because apparently if you don't date transgender people, then you are transphobic. Listen to this. All right, I will assume that you asked this question in the way that you really want to learn. So I will explain all the ways that it is okay. Let's say that you are attracted to women. Well, if you're attracted to women, then you're attracted to cis women, trans women without bottom surgery, and trans women with bottom surgery. If you're attracted to um, BJ, then you could be attracted to a cis woman, a trans man without bottom surgery, a trans woman with bottom surgery, or a a non-binary person, which depending on their assigned gender at birth, having or not having had the surgery. But it is that exclusion that makes it transphobic. So if you say that you like women and you like VJ, then that would mean that you are attracted to cis women and trans women who have had, who have had bottom surgery. It is just that exclusion that makes it transphobic. You can have a genital preference, but to exclude trans people is transphobic. Wow. Okay. Well, let me be clear, America. Uh, I reject this guy's um, 
accusation that I'm transphobic because I don't want to date a trans person? Absolutely not. Now, obviously, the the anything phobic and anything phobia has taken on new definitions since uh, I was a kid. You know, it, arachnophobia meant the fear of arachnids, you know, eight-legged creatures. That's no longer the case. If you say transphobia, it doesn't mean you're afraid of transgender individuals or, or Islamophobia. This means that you somehow don't like them and that you're um, a racist or a bigot or a xenophobe. And... <clears throat> This couldn't be further from the truth, but this is the case. And I remember having a debate on radio once with someone who was telling me that if I wasn't an anti-racist, then I was a, and they said, you fill in the blank. And it's inconvenient how they create these false equivalencies, these false binary statements that put pit you one way versus another. And, and ultimately my, 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 my response to them was, um, I, I date different women. Um, and if I don't date black women, like, because I haven't, not because I don't want to, just because I haven't. Does that make me racist because my type might be Hispanic women or let's say uh, white women or redheaded women or whatever? And 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 they were like, no, of course not. You, you know, they were being sympathetic. But my point was, it's absurd to suggest that. And here we are a couple of years later, and we're hearing that you're allowed to like women, but if you like women, you better like trans women who've had bottom surgery because his friend uh, VJ is is a trans woman or whatever, and according to the audio you just heard. And I just think that's the craziest thing I've ever heard. And I want to get your opinions on that and everything else we're talking about. Uh, let's go to Chuck in Rockford, Illinois. Chuck on WGN. Go right ahead. Yeah, I wanted to mention that I had uh, done election judging in, in the past. I go clear back to uh, when Ross Perot was running, but anyhow, uh, I uh, turned in a complaint because, uh, and I've seen other things like it where the, They'd come in with a van full of uh, words of the state. One guy would vote for all of them, I, and you can guess what he <laughs> what ticket? Yep. Democrat, straight down the line. Yeah, and uh, they're pulling that crap all over the place. And I've been a uh, you know uh, a Democrat had been <laughs> right until uh, they kicked you out. Now I get it. Listen, I know that there's a lot of. Uh, crazy stuff that goes on in elections. Again, uh, um, I've lived most of my adult life in Jersey now, and um, you'd be so surprised at the things that happen here. That movie, American Hustle, with, um, I think his name's Ozzy, Ozzy Nelson or Ozzy, a real guy. He, he, he's the guy that is the congressman that gets locked up in that movie. In real life, two years ago, he got locked up again for rigging elections for judges in Philadelphia. <laughs> So, and that's a real story based on another real story. I mean, it's just incredible what you see uh, in in this world that we live in. But Chuck, I want to ask you, um, what are your thoughts on this audio clip that we just heard that if you like women, then you better like trans women too. Otherwise, you're transphobic. I had an unusual thing happen to me when I was about 14. I visited a sideshow and saw a hermorphodite. Now, I don't know what you do in that kind of situation, but <laughs> she <laughs> was <either>. circumcised. <laughs> wow. That's that's a fascinating uh, thing. That sounds scary for a 14-year-old. Oh, yeah. But you know how curious those guys are. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah. You probably laughed it all off and told all your friends about it. Thanks, Chuck. I appreciate it. Uh, and big shout out to everybody listening on WGN in, in the uh, Illinois area. I know you guys carry us a little bit later. And we're going to take a quick pause right here, get to the rest of your calls momentarily. 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Rich All right, to the phones we go. Let's go to Richard in La Crosse, Wisconsin. W-I-Z-M. Go right ahead. Well, I wanted to make a quick comment about uh, this ongoing debate with um, our border, our southern border. I think the end game there, as far as the powers that be, Democrat and perhaps Republican, in Washington is they simply want to have enough new people in America, and, and new immigrants tend to vote Democratic, so that um, they basically have uh, enough of a, of a voting number to uh, keep the Democratic Party and its priorities in power. They're basically trying to eliminate um, any sort of uh, feedback or um, problem with the uh, Republicans. Mm-hmm. Yep. I think you're right, Richard. Listen, uh, I think you're right. It's... it's uh, it's about power. It's about profit. Uh, it, it's it's about permanently cementing their stronghold as uh, as being the party of 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 the power. And uh, it, it's scary whenever any one party, any one party, has this total control for any extended amount of time, because um, that's how bad things start. Right? Problems start when you have these parties where the, where there's no opposition to that party. And we've seen it in a number of countries. Of course, you know, I'll be labeled as a red scare, but we've seen it in China. We've seen it in Venezuela. We've seen it in Cuba. And I don't want to see it here. Thank you, Richard. I appreciate it. Big shout out to everybody in La Crosse and on WIZM. Let's continue with Sarah. Sarah's on WBIW in Bedford, Indiana. Go right ahead. Hey, you're a great patriot. Thanks for having me on. I'm going to miss you when I go to day shift in a couple weeks. Ah, but um, I want to tell you. Kind. You uh, you can't defend yourself. Um, you know they're gonna that poor uh, uh, marine is gonna get charged. I hope he gets exonerated. But given the political climate, look at that bodega owner, owner that almost got prosecuted. Yeah. Um, look at the garage attendant. You know these Democrats they don't want you to be able to defend against violent criminals. And now they want to tell you you can't refuse somebody's affection or you'll be a bigot. I mean. The, <laughs> Everything they claim not to be, you know. Yeah, I mean, I mean, they're racist and they're against people having the right to control their body. They they just lie. I mean, when you see what their um, ideology is put into practice, it's horrible. Yeah, no, Sarah, you're totally right. Uh, it's such a shame that uh, you're right. If I, if I don't, if I'm not into trans women, then I'm a transphobic person. And I, I just think it's laughable. It's crazy. It's crazy the way they redefine everything. And they teach this to your children. Your children come home and go, hey, did you know that you're a racist, uh, homophobe, xenophobe? <laughs> yes, thank you very much. <laughs> Guilty as charged. Let's move on. 
Oh, boy, Sarah. Thank you, and good luck on Day Shift. Thanks for your kind words. I appreciate you. The music means I got to go. Sorry, Tommy. Sorry, Gil. I wanted to get to you. Uh, excellent conversation tonight. Great week on the radio. For me, I had a great time. You guys had great comments, great guests. Looking forward to uh, next week. Take care. Good night. God bless. Hasta la próxima. Until the next time, let's do it again. But until then, make sure you stay tuned on this station because there's more programming straight ahead. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.